If you're able, stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Mark 9, 2 through 9. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Mark 9:14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. The word of God for the people of God. I'm glad you're here today. Happy Father's Day. Amen. Have a fun picnic planned afterwards, some brisket, maybe grill some hamburgers and dogs and just have some good fellowship. Sound good? You're welcome to stay. Hope everyone does. I titled the sermon, as Keely read that text in the scripture, as we continue our journey through the gospel of Mark, and we're in chapter 9 now, what is called the Mount of Transfiguration. But I titled this Up a Mountain and Down a Mountain. And that comes from our text. It began with, after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain. And then in verse 9, it says they were coming down the mountain. We're going to look at being on that mountain in God's presence and worship, believing the eyewitness testimony of his majestic glory, but then we're going to look at coming down the mountain. I read, Keeley read verse 14 about how they came down and immediately they were in the thick of a difficult situation where there was arguing. And then we're going to look a little bit about the story of the father who has brought his son who is demon-possessed. So we're going to look at coming down the mountain. And then we're going to look at the cross, coming to the cross. So first, on the mountain. Wow, can you imagine this scenario? Rifle read one uh, place uh, in his prayer about God speaking from heaven, and here this is one of those accounts. But wouldn't you want to be Peter, James, and John following Jesus going up on that mountain? 
what would that be like? Here's the scripture again from Mark 9, 2 through 7. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So Peter, James, and John were up on that mountain, and they saw the glory of Jesus unveiled. You know, it says that when he was here on this earth as a man, his, his glory was veiled. But there they got to see reality, see truth really as it really is they saw jesus in his glory can you imagine it's like all the things maybe you just thought up in your head all of a sudden are hitting your heart and going it's real peter had said previously we looked at this you know you're the christ he had that revelation and now it's like it's all real. And they see him in his just unveiled glory, just hitting and impacting them and being so terrified in, in, the, in the glory of God and just seeing this beautiful, beautiful, majestic glory of God on the mountain. And on the way down, Jesus, in verse 9, of our text said, tell no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Wow, can you imagine keeping that a secret after that? Coming down the mountain, I'm going to tell everybody, tell no one. Oh, <laughs> until that, and they didn't know what risen from the dead was, meant still. Jesus was trying to preach the gospel to them over and over and again that the Son of Man must suffer. But they've had this mountaintop experience, and all of a sudden he says not to. But I just want to leap for a little while into Peter's future life when Peter can talk about it because Peter now realizes more and more who the Son of Man really was and his suffering and his cross and his future glory and how much more difficult it was and yet more majestic that it was. And in Second Peter 1... Verses 16 through, every, through 18, Peter says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on that holy mountain. Oh, he finally got to explode with it, didn't he? Got to write it in his letter that we have today in God's holy word. 
Do you believe these eyewitnesses? Do you believe Peter? He was the eyewitness of Jesus' majestic glory. He saw it. Do you believe his testimony? Do you believe his witness today? John speaks of Jesus' glory this way in John 1, 14, and then 16 and 17. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In our text in verse 9 of Mark, there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. What a scene here on this mountain. Elijah and Moses, the the, the prophet of, of prophets, Elijah, the power of Elijah, and then Moses, the lawgiver, there talking with Jesus. What was this scene like on this mountain? We know Moses had a scene similar to this um, in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 21. This is right before the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus 20, but in Exodus 19 it says this. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud and the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down. Moses is going up the mountain and going down. Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. This holy God, this terrifying God, this yet beckoning God, he's saying come near but not too near. Stay at the foot of the mountain. Even if a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned. So there's this terrifying fear. There's curiosity in the people too. They want to see, they want to, and he says, go down, Moses, and warn them. Stay, stay away from the mountain. You feel this terrifying, holy God, the same experience, like, similar to Peter had. He rambles off, you know, these words, uh, we'll build three tents and tabernacles, because uh, he was just so terrified, didn't know what to say. Is this Mount Sinai all over again? No. Definitely not. You see, Moses had reflected the glory of God. Kind of like 
the moon reflects the glory of the sun. It was powerful. It was a experience that God was leading his people through, but it was pointing to something much greater. You see, Jesus wasn't just reflecting the glory of God. He was producing the glory of God. It was emanating from him. So where Moses only reflected the glory of God, Jesus was producing and radiating uh, the glory of God. Peter, James, and John are in the very presence of God, and yet they do not die. The very presence of God. Hebrews 1.3, when we read in our liturgy today, he is the radiance, Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He was radiating the glory of God. And yet, on that mountain with Jesus, Peter, James, and John do not die. Why not? And the answer has to be because they were with Jesus, and Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Mark 9, 8 in our text, when they were there, Jesus comes over, it says they, they no longer saw anyone with them after the voice spoke from heaven said they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only Jesus only was there with them this is the reason they did not die on that holy mountain Jesus is a temple to end all temples he is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices when he gives his life and he sheds his blood. His blood cries out for us to be forgiven. His blood cries out to show us mercy. And the writer of Hebrews explains this, these two stories of Moses and the story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this other, these two mountains are compared here. Uh, by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. He says, You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg no far further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Notice the comparison here from Mount Sinai to this. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, the writer of Hebrews had talked about the blood of Abel some. And back in Genesis 4.10, the Lord said, what have you done to Cain, his first murder? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. It's letting me know. Bring justice, bring vengeance to 
to my death. Abel's blood cries out for justice and vengeance for his murder. But Jesus' blood here, the, Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, his sprinkled blood speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, Jesus, his blood cries out to forgive us. It cries out to bring us mercy. Jesus on the cross cries out to forgive us for we don't know what we're doing. Jesus dies on the cross, shedding his blood. It runs down the cross. It runs into the earth when they pierce his side. The blood and water flowed. And when it did, and he cried out his last, it says the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Jesus endures darkness and gloom on the cross so he can bring us into the Father's presence because we are made righteous by faith in him and by his blood. So his blood speaks of so much better things than the blood of Abel. It speaks of mercy. It speaks of his great loving grace to forgive us. It speaks today. It speaks forever. And it speaks to us and to our hearts right now. On that mountain, Jesus was preparing for all of this. And he has accomplished it. He has removed that, bar that barrier. The terrifying holy God beckons us now to come near, and we can through that one mediator, that man Jesus Christ. Now he beckons and we can come on that holy mountain. We too can experience the glory of God in Jesus Christ today. Amen. But they had to come down the mountain. I don't like going down, do you? It's harder on your knees when you're hiking. I like going up and getting there and the excitement. But they had to come down, and that's what the text says. As they were coming down in Mark 9, 9, and then verse 14, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And when they came to the other disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. They came right back into a heated argument. Sound familiar? It does to me. They come down from the mountain into an argument. It's about the disciples of Jesus not being able to cast out this demon from this boy. So from the mountaintop in the presence of God and in worshiping and that glorious worshipful scene with God, they come down the mountain into the middle of an argument and facing demons. And we will face demons. We will face battles. Jesus did earlier in Mark 1, 12 through 13. Uh, after his baptism, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. Satan is a real foe. He is a real enemy. And we have a battle to encounter. Our lives aren't lived up on the mountaintop. They're lived in the valleys, 
doing life, doing battle. In Ephesians 6, it says, put on the whole armor of God, verses 11 through 13. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil's real. Paul is emphasizing that to the church there at Ephesus, that the devil is real, he's scheming, he's planning, he's intelligent. He is a real foe. And he goes on to say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that may be able to stand and withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. So when you come down the, from the mountaintop, when you leave church after worship and fellowship, you're entering into a battle zone. And they came right down the mountain, right into this battle. The mountaintop experience was doing something. It was doing something great in them, but at the same time, it was preparing them for the battle that lay down the mountain. And not just in this encounter that we're going to talk about a little bit, but further into the future, what they would endure. They would remember, Peter, James, and John, this experience. That they would be able to withstand the evil day. But Jesus cast out this demon, and Mark records the question that the disciples asked Jesus in private. Mark 9, 28. When they had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast out? Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What was Jesus saying? Jesus seemed to be saying, you're trying to cast out this demon without praying. That's what he was saying. This kind only comes out but by prayer. You're trying to cast this demon out without praying. In our men's Bible study, we're reading Tim Keller's book, Jesus the King. And there he says, the disciples tried prayerless exorcism for the same reason that they couldn't understand why Jesus had to die. They didn't see how weak and proud they were. That hit us all pretty hard. We kind of talked about that some in our Bible study this week. They underestimated the power of evil in the world and evil in themselves. Underestimated the power of the devil and underestimated the power of evil in us. And he brings up this word, what we need is repentant helplessness. We need to stay in an attitude of repentance and realizing that we're helpless, that we can't do anything without Jesus. Jesus said that, you can do nothing without me. It's a constant dependency. The disciples were full of themselves, of pride. They weren't going in with prayer, a dependency on Jesus. But there is one person in this story who's brought to the end of himself, and he is the father. 
this one person is humble and he knows his weakness. He knows he's come to the end of all that he can do with his son. This is something he's been dealing with since the boy was young. And he explains that to Jesus. And in Mark 9, verses 22 through 24, he says, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible. Listen to that statement. All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. He had that repentant helplessness. You're my only hope. I'm sorry if I said anything. I mean, I, I believed. I, I'm struggling with my son his, his whole life. He's thrown him into the fire. He's thrown him into the water. He's done all these things. I'm at my end. Please, I, I'm having a hard time believing. Help my unbelief. But I believe. I believe with all I can believe. But help my unbelief. He's at that point. He's the one person in this crowd of the arguing, of the, of the disciples arguing and the scribes arguing. And he has that humble heart, that place of helplessness. I need you, Jesus. And he's an example of what we need. And it's not just our great faith, our perfect faith, but it is our repentant helplessness, our coming to the end of ourselves and not looking to our great faith, but looking to our great Jesus, who is the object of our faith. It's looking to the greatness of Jesus. Admitting our helplessness to do anything good, to, do, to save ourselves, admitting that we need help and we're desperate for him and him alone. But this would cost Jesus to reconcile us to God. This would cost Jesus to do what he was doing. And that's what he was talking about on that holy mountain. He was talking about what it would cost. He was talking about the cross. And that's his third point, at the cross. Going to the cross. You see, in our text, in Mark 9, 11 through 13, it says, um, it talks about the scribes and the Pharisees and what they had taught, the scribes. It says, they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man, so now he's shifting into the Son of Man, that he should suffer. He's always preaching the gospel of his suffering, that he must suffer and die. And he's preaching it there, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. And then he connects it to the, the question that I've asked. In verse 13 he says, but I tell you, Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as is written of him. And Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. And he's talking about that John the Baptist did come, and they treated him with this contempt. And they did with him whatever they wanted to do. And then he's preaching the gospel to him, and he's saying, they will do the same to me. They will treat me with contempt. I will suffer. I will have to go to the cross. He's preaching the gospel to them. In Mark 9, 4, we don't have 
uh, much because Mark is always very short and to the point. All he says is there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. And don't you want to say, well, what were they talking about and how long did you get to listen? They found out that it was Moses and Elijah. So there must have been some names. Saying, hey, Moses, how's it going? Hey, Elijah. <laughs> Can you imagine listening? What was this conversation? All we have from Luke, which I'm thankful for Luke, Bring me some details, Luke, please. Luke 9, 31, in him telling of the Mount of Transfiguration, he says, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. That's the word for his exodus. They were talking about his exodus, his departure. They were talking about which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, what he was going to accomplish. They were discussing his end, his death, the cross, all these things. This mountaintop experience for Jesus was fortifying him and his determination to go to the cross and what it would accomplish, reminded him, seeing that vision of all that it would accomplish. They're speaking about Jesus' departure, his exodus, and all that he would accomplish at Jerusalem. This mountaintop experience for Jesus was preparing him for the cross and all he would accomplish at the cross. What did he accomplish? Wow. I mean, that's a lot. We can bring out one, one verse in Colossians 2, verse 15. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him or triumphing over them through the cross in it in the cross he triumphed he broke he disarmed the rulers and authorities he put them to open shame he triumphed over them he triumphed over sin and death for us he paid the price to redeem and ransom our lost rebellious souls Tim Keller and Jesus the King said, On that mountain, we see Jesus surrounded by God. On the cross, he was forsaken. On the mountain, we see the life he always led, embraced and clothed with the love and light of God. But on the cross, he was naked and in the dark. This was the price Jesus would pay for our redemption. This would have been in the conversation discussing his exodus and all that he would accomplish. What does this have to do with us? What application can we gain from this whole experience that Mark records for us? We can see that on the mountain, through the Spirit, God was strengthening Jesus for his mission for the infinite suffering he would endure to defeat all evil. And God can empower us in a similar way to face evil and to overcome our own suffering. The Mount of Transfiguration is not just to convince them that Jesus is holy, his deity and all that they saw, it's an experience that Jesus led Peter, James, and John up to for a purpose. 
that purpose is that to prepare them also for the need of what would lie ahead, for their own mission, how they would die, how they would suffer and die. Mountaintop experiences are to help us accomplish our mission that God has called each one of us to. And you say, well, I don't know if I've had one of these mountaintop experiences. But these mountaintop experiences can be just the revelation, a moment in prayer, a moment in church, a moment in fellowship, when you sense and you know the glory of God in your life. You might not just hear him in your head saying, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, I gave my life for you, but you might experience it in reality in your heart. It might reach new depths and level, levels inside you where he speaks to you and you hear in your inner man that he loves you. You're his child. The almighty, all-creating God is your father. And he loves you infinitely, unconditionally. He's called you to be his very own. And you can sense and know his warmth and loving arms around you like a little lamb being held in his arms. In some measure, in some way, if you're a believer today, you've had to experience some form of a mountaintop experience where you know you're his and he is yours and you walk with him. And he does this so that we can walk with him and be ready to face what life has in store for us. And we don't know what it has in store for us. But in all people's life, they confront suffering, pain, grief, and all face death. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this comes the judgment. We all have that appointment. But I think we can apply this to our life to enjoy the mountaintop, to enjoy those experiences with God to love and worship in his presence. And we come here as a church and as a fellowship to enjoy the presence of God, that we can walk into his presence because of the righteousness and cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Our faith in that blood causes the veil to be torn. Jesus is that barrier to where we can come boldly before the throne of grace and God. That invitation of that terrifying God and holy God now invites us in and we can come and he beckons us to come and draw near and now he has made the perfect way to come and he says come today and when we experience him in his nearness he strengthens us for all the mission for the evil day in this world and all that we will face he is that one mediator between God and man the man full of grace and truth and I pray that we all accomplish our God-given mission in this life to bring glory to him with our life. In Jesus' name, amen.
as we come today, we come in fellowship to remember Jesus and to remember his death. And we do this and we remember his death till he comes. If everyone will come and um, grab a cup, it has the bread in the bottom of it. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've put your trust and reliance on him for your salvation, you're welcome to join us in communion. So would you please come? Just hold your cups and we'll say a prayer and partake together. There's two cups there, and underneath the cup is the bread. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks to the Father for it. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread together. Lord, our gracious Heavenly Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for giving your body upon that tree, that cursed tree, and becoming a curse for us that we might inherit a blessing from God our Father. We praise you and thank you, Jesus, for giving your body. 
In like manner, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the blood, the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come. Let us partake of the cup together. Gracious Heavenly Father, you knew what it would cost to redeem us. You knew it would cost the life of your eternal Son, the eternal Son of God. And yet, you did it. What a great love. What a great Father. What a great loving Father. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and shedding your blood. It cries out for our mercy, for our grace, and we receive it. We receive you, Jesus, full of grace and full of truth, and we thank you. Holy Spirit, may you make the Father and the Son real in our lives. Give us those experiences that help us accomplish the mission that you have ahead of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together. Sure. 
confess Christ our hope in life and death Unto the Christ our hope in life and death. 